Let's pray. Father, we glorify you tonight. We ask that you would be glorified in the teaching of your word, in the hearing of your word, and in the opening of our hearts, Lord, that you'd be glorified not just in how we receive, but how we put this word into action. Father, I pray that this would not simply be a time of, of sowing seed on, on ground that's not ready to receive, but Lord, that there would be a, a sowing tonight that would result in much fruit. I know that there are not uh, multitudes upon multitudes here to hear the word tonight, but there are enough to change this city and there's enough to change the world. So I ask, Lord, that the, that the ones that you've gathered here tonight for a purpose would go out with a purpose to spread the gospel, to love the world as you love them, to share the, the truth of who you are with everyone they come in contact with, and to preach the gospel both with their words and with their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you open the Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 5? We're going to look at two different places in the scripture tonight, and uh, we're going to see Jesus from two perspectives. Uh, from the perspective of him as prophet, Messiah in the Gospels, uh, the light of the world, uh, our salvation. Uh, although when he came in the Gospels, he was primarily sent to Israel. This is from his own words. He was a light to the Gentiles, yes. But, I mean, even when a Gentile came up to him, you know, there were there some Gentiles he ministered to. And... Uh, Boy, they had great faith. But in one case, a Gentile woman came up to him and he said, you know, isn't healing, isn't all of this for the, for the children? Isn't this bread for the children and not for you? In other words, I mean, he straight out called her a dog, you know, like a Gentile. So, of course, she came out with a great answer and said, you know, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the table. She was right. And uh, he said himself, I've been sent to the house of Israel. But he was a light to the Gentiles and the church would later carry that gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, as he commanded them to do, as he desired them to do. So we're going to see him from that perspective, Jesus walking the earth in the gospels. We're also going to see him from the perspective of, of who he is now. Uh, he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not telling you he cha he's changed. But he is seen in a different light. Jesus no longer looks like we think he looks like, I don't think. Unless we've been reading the book of Revelation lately. Uh, he doesn't look like a hippie with a bathrobe. He, he looks, to those that love him, awesome. To those that disdain him, terrifying. And uh, we're going to see him from two perspectives tonight. But uh, let's go to Matthew 5. We're going to see what Jesus said about us as disciples, as us as the church, us as his light on the earth. Because that's who we are, right? We are his body. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are uh, his hands, his feet, his mouth, all of these things. And he said, I am the light of the world. But later on, he says, you are the light of the world. If he says, you are the light of the world, and he's the light of the world, what does that mean? That means the light that we give forth comes directly from him, is through him and by him, right? So any light we share is coming from him. Yet, he doesn't say, spread my light, share my light. He says, you are the light. That's how transformed you're meant to be by the light of Jesus Christ, by His infilling inside of you. So in Matthew 5, we're going to read a short section. In Matthew 5.13, He says, You are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now listen, he says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world just called you the light of the world. Big statement, right? Because you've received of him. In fact, John chapter 1 says, of his fullness we have all received. Of his fullness, that means of everything that he is, we've received it. And grace upon grace. Now this is big, right? Because this means that everything that you're meant to be to the world is all of him. You're not meant to put your own spin on who He is. You're meant to be who He is to the world. You are the light of the world. So the more you mix with, um, the more you mix your old self before you were born again, just your, your natural self, the more you try to mix that in with who He is, the weaker the light is. But if you'll just let Him shine through you, if you make Him the prime issue, the prime purpose, the, the, the source of everything, and you say, He's the light of the world, so now I'm the light of the world. Then pure light comes out. And this is what he says, that you are the light of the world. And listen to this, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I want you to see that. He says, a city set on a hill. We can all say we're the city, right? We're a city of lights, right? If we're the city, who set us on a hill? He did, right? I mean, we can't say that uh, a city doesn't set itself on a hill. A city is built, right? Now, we know I mean, Hebrews talks about the city whose foundation and builder is God. We're looking at what Jesus is saying. He says, you are the light of the world. If he was the light of the world, and now we're the light of the world, he made us the light, right? He put his light in us and made us who we are. So we're the city, but he's the one that put us on top of a hill. And we may want to be in a valley somewhere where we're not so noticeable. Because a lot of us say, you know, I don't want the world to see me. I, I mean, uh, just, oh, no, 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 no. As long as they see Jesus, I don't want to be noticed. I'd like to go through this world barely noticed, but just loving people as I go along. But he says, I've put you on top of a hill. He actually put you somewhere where everybody could see you. This may be humiliating for some of you. This may be... Uh, for, for those who've been timid in their life, that might be, uh, you know, a little bit intimidating because you think, well, <laughs> I'm not ready to be in front of everybody. I don't want everybody looking at me. In fact, I want nobody looking at me. Can everybody look somewhere else? But he puts you on top of a hill. And he says, you can't be hidden. That's good news. It may not sound like good news, but it is good news. He says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay, so he just said he set us on the hill, right? Now when we read this, we come to understand that yes, he's saying you don't hide your own light. But I also believe, now he says you don't hide your own light, you put it on a lampstand for everyone to see. But I also believe he's the one that put you on a lampstand. He's the one that puts you in a position to shine light to everyone around you. You can run away from that position or you can embrace it and say, I'm going to take this as a high calling that he put me on a lampstand. I better be sure what I'm shining is his light because he put me somewhere to be seen. And if he put me somewhere to be seen, he wants me to shine his light. He doesn't want me to shine a mix. He doesn't want me to shine my own disco version of his light he wants his light shone 
So two things we do well, we, we, we embrace the fact that we've been put on a hill and we shine that pure light to the world and we also don't cover that light. We don't try to hide it. We don't try to put it away realizing that He put us on a lampstand but as He put us on a lampstand so also are we to put our light on the lampstand so that everyone sees. He says, this is what happens when the light is on a lampstand. Now, guys, let's think about it. A lampstand does what? It elevates that light, right? A light is always going to be a light. It's just as bright on the ground as it is on the lampstand, right? But when it's on the lampstand, it goes more places. It reaches more people. It shines light in a broader area. So he's not saying, I'm going to change your light. He's not even saying it's going to get brighter, but what he is saying is it's going to be put on a lampstand so it reaches more people. Who you are reaches more people because you're reflecting not who you are, but who he is. Now this comes to us as individual disciples, but remember when he says you, he's speaking to his disciples as a group as well. And I believe as much as this applies to us individually, this applies even more so to us as the church. Not just as a church, but the church. That, that we are meant to be those, that light on the lampstand, as Philippians said, as stars in the universe. As stars giving light to a wicked and perverse generation. That's who you are. And so, He put us on the lampstand, and the point is to give light to all who are in the house. Now, if we're the light on the lampstand, Who's in the house? I'm not trying to bring a Carmen song back. <laughs> Who's in the house? Who are all these people in the house? Because you, you can't say that they're... I mean, it would be stretching it in my mind to say that that's the church because the church is the light. So who are all these other people in the house? Well, these are the people around you to the disciples directly. It may have at that moment been Israel, but it was going to be the ends of the earth. It was going to be everyone else. I think that all who are in our house, our sphere, our community, would be Lloyd Minster, if you're from Macklin, would be Macklin, would be the people that you have influence over, the people at your workplace, the people at your school. These are the people in the house that you're giving light to that don't yet have light. And they have to have some reference point for what light is. Because otherwise, they'll walk in darkness and not know they're in darkness. You see, a lot of people can go for a long time in darkness, not realizing they're in darkness, until they see a light. Your eyes can get used to the darkness. You walk around and, and you begin to think this is normal. But when you step out into that bright sun, especially in the wintertime in Lloydminster, when the bright sun is shining on the snow and you come out of your house and you can't see for 30 seconds, you know that feeling. It made you realize how dark your house actually was. So people can walk for a long time in darkness, not knowing they're in darkness, until someone shines some light. Those who see that light will either respond and say, I want that light. Or are going to get mad because you made them squint. <laughs> and they're going to cover their eyes and run away. But they're going to do something. And they're going to have to respond to that light in some way. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the light that Jesus gives us to shine glorifies God. That's how you know it's from Him. That's how you know it's His light, not your light. Is His light always glorifies the Father.
always. Your light will glorify yourself. His light will glorify the Father. So if you want to judge whether or not this light is from Him or whether this light is from you, you've got to just simply judge and say, is this glorifying God or is this glorifying me or something else? So I want us to think about this as a, as a group of believers, as the church, to think about the fact that Jesus put us on a hill because He believed enough in you and even more so, He believed enough in Himself to be able to put you on a hill and not be embarrassed by it. It's a big thought, right? Because <laughs> you go, please don't put me on a hill. People are going to see me and they're going to they're think that oh, they're, they're gonna, it's going to reflect badly on you if they see me. Well, that's not your attitude. That should never be your attitude. You know, a lie that's been preached for a very long time is that church is full of hypocrites. Can I tell you the world is full of hypocrites? The only way to escape hypocrisy is to find Jesus, to embrace Him, and to make Him the Lord of your life. Everyone's a hypocrite before they meet Jesus. And there are some people in the church that go back to their old self ways doesn't mean the church is the breeding ground for hypocrites just means that the light that's in the church makes the darkness more evident so you don't be a hypocrite you let God's light shine through you because he puts you on a hill he puts you on a lampstand embrace it I'm supposed to be affecting a lot of people. They're supposed to see me and glorify God. Though when you, when you have that temptation to say, Oh, don't look at me. Oh, let me hide behind here. What you're saying is, I don't want... As, I mean, you may not be saying this directly, but the end result is that God does not get the glory He deserves because you're unwilling to be the instrument that glorifies Him. So be willing. Say, God, glorify Yourself through me, through this church. Revelation chapter 2. Actually, let's start in chapter 1 just so we can read something that I love to read. I love to read that description of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 starts with John on the Isle of Patmos, a terrible place. <laughs> place you send the worst prisoners or in John's case an old man you just can't kill and uh, then he in this terrible place living in a dank dark cave underneath a despicable temple to a false goddess sees Jesus in this cool and Jesus appears to him and his eyes are opened and in verse 12 Sorry, verse 10 of chapter 1. He says that uh, there was a voice behind him like the sound of a trumpet. And the voice said, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So the lampstands weren't speaking to him, but those were the first things that Jesus wanted him to see. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. What does that mean? He looked like a man, but you knew he wasn't. Clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like burnished bronze, and when it was made to be made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. We've said this before, but I'll say it again. This is what Jesus looks like right now. This is not future Jesus. This is present Jesus. Because this is what he looked like 2,000 years ago appearing at John. That's what he looks like right now. He is the risen king. He has been given the name above all names. You realize that he had not been given that exalted name until he humbled himself to the point of a bondservant, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him, gave him the name which is above all names. You see, Jesus was around since the beginning of creation. It says all things were created through him and by him. But you see now that he's been elevated because of his time on the earth, because of his bondservant time he was his name was given a higher name he was given this this glorified status and when you look at him now and I believe when you looked at him even before he came on the earth he looked like this because many people will read the book of Ezekiel for instance and see that man that appears to Ezekiel and say that's Jesus so he's probably looked like this since the beginning of time but for a brief window in time he looked like a man and that's the picture we paint all the time. But this is the picture you'd see right now if you saw him face to face. Now, he can appear any way he wants to to you. That's his prerogative. If he appeared at the foot of your bed, he may very well appear like Jesus in the Gospels so he doesn't freak you out. But this is what he looks like. Eyes like a flame of fire. Does that mean his eyes are flaming? Maybe. It also may be like a flame of fire in, in that when you stare at a flame, can you look away? You're transfixed by it. Perhaps in that sense, his eyes are like a flame of fire. Either way, that's not really the point. His voice is like the sound of many waters, and here's what happens. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angel, of course, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, simply meant messenger. It's translated many times as a human messenger and many times as a divine messenger. How do we know that he's speaking to a divine messenger or an earthly messenger? Well, let me tell you. This is, in my opinion, very clearly talking to an earthly messenger, not an angel with wings that comes down, not Gabriel, not Michael. Why? Because God does not have to tell a man to write a letter to an angel. Angels respond to the voice of God, right? Do you need to write an angel a letter so he'll help you? No, you'd be out of order if you did that. They respond directly to God. They don't need you to write them a letter. So who needs a letter? The earthly messenger to those churches, a.k.a. the pastor, the evangelist, whoever it is that's speaking to these people. Most likely, the pastors of these seven churches. They are the stars that Jesus is holding in his right hand. And the seven, uh, sorry, let's keep reading in verse 20. And the seven lampstands, golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
So, we know there's more than seven churches in the New Testament, right? In fact, all of these seven are just in Asia Minor. There's a whole bunch in Greece. There's a whole bunch in Judea. There's, there's a whole bunch. There's, there's, there's some in Italy. We know that this is just Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. Okay, so he's not saying these are the only seven churches. But he says he's showing him seven golden lampstands. Now, he didn't just say lights, right? He said lampstands. In other words, just like what we talked about, Jesus was talking about putting a light on a stand. Now, these churches are lights that he's actually elevated to a position of influence. He's put these churches as, as keystone churches that are going to affect a large region, that are affecting other small churches, that are affecting other communities, that are affecting their community. The first letter is to the church in Ephesus, which is not only an, a, a secular center of commerce, it has become a key church in the church of Asia. It has become the main church that he's used to reach out to so many people. The Apostle John, as a matter of fact, came from Ephesus. When he left Jerusalem, I mean, he, he came about in a roundabout way, but he was arrested in Ephesus. Ephesus was a place he lived, in fact, with Jesus' mother Mary for many years. He lived in Ephesus. So, this was a church that welcomed a lot of ministries, welcomed a lot of apostles. We know that it, the church in Ephesus started with Paul and Priscilla and Aquila starting this church, seeing the work of God move. Apollos had some things to do with it. So it was a thriving church. And it's one of the seven lampstands that Jesus has used to spread His light and His message. Not just to the unbelievers, but also to other churches. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Picture that just for a moment. Jesus walking among the churches. Just walking among them. You say, well, Jesus is always here, right? He's with me. He lives in me. Absolutely. But you know, Jesus can come in different ways and different levels and different things. So think about it just for a moment like he's, like he's telling us. He's walking amongst these churches. And he's watching. He's observing. He's taking part. He's blessing. He's pouring out. He's doing all of these things. But throughout these three chapters in the book of Revelation, we see him observing and fixing. This is what Jesus is doing. Now, are you comfortable with Jesus doing this in our church? Coming and watching. And then fixing what needs to be fixed. Well, we, we just always have a picture of Jesus always saying nice things to us. Always telling us we're doing a good job. That's what we want Jesus to say. That's His job. He's Jesus. That's not His job. He is the King. He is the head of the church. And He loves you enough to fix you if you're broken. So... He may come along and say, You're doing a good job, Josh. I got a couple things you need to work on. Oh, you couldn't just stop it. You're doing a good job, Josh. Just stop there. Now, a son loves correction. A son loves discipline. A, lo a son wants to be like his father. And in fact, we know that God the Father, we're growing to be like him. But how do we grow to be like God the Father? We grow to be like Jesus. So here's what he says. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. Listen to those three things. I know your deeds. I know the works of you. I know, I know what you've done. 
And that's not bad. He's talking about this in a positive light. You know, when, when we hear that phrase, I know what you've done, we, we get tense, you know. Like there's an anonymous letter on our car, I know what you've done. You know, but he says, I know your deeds. This is good. I know what you've done for me. I know your, I know your work. He says, I know your toil. That word is, is put in our New American Standard as toil because it's, work is not enough of a word for it. Toil, in the original language, this word is, is indicative of, of hard work. Labor, it says in the King James. Often used to talk about farmers working in the fields. Like it's... It's, it's, it's heavy work. They're doing good work for God. They're doing things and they're working really hard. And their perseverance, they haven't given up. Oh, they've been persecuted, but they've kept going. They've been, uh, I mean, they've had all these things and they've continued in the gospel. They've continued in the truth. They haven't given up. And Jesus is proud of them for this. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you have found them to be false, or you found them to be liars. So Jesus is proud of them for the work they've done, for the heavy toil they've done, for the fact that they've kept going, for the fact that they wouldn't tolerate evil men. You say, what? What, what, does, what does that mean? When a sinner comes in the back door, they kick him out? No, 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 no. He's talking about those who are... This is not talking about the drunkard that comes in the back and needs help. This is talking about somebody who comes in to devour. This is talking about a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is an apostle. You know what an apostle does? An apostle has authority. An apostle builds, he plants, he uproots, he destroys. But an apostle will also... Uh, not only plant works, not only start things, but oversee them, speak into them, have a degree of authority in those places. So what would happen? False apostles would come along and try to get authority, try to get some influence, and these guys wouldn't have it. They'd test them. If they found out they weren't the real deal, you're out of here. Because they love the people. And because they realize this is what Jesus would do too. Jesus is the good shepherd. Doesn't let wolves in with the sheep. You see, in Ephesus, as I said, Ephesus was like the main hub for all of Asia. So if you wanted to have influence, you wanted to have some gigs all throughout the churches in Asia, you start in Ephesus. They like you. They accept you. You can go anywhere. They realize that's a position of pretty important position. So what do they do? They take it seriously. They get a bunch of fancy pants people coming in, trying to take control, trying to show off, trying to gain a name for themselves, and they put them to the test. And they find those ones to be false. And they don't tolerate them. They don't, they don't let them sit there and, and uh, talk to people in the lobby. They don't, they don't let them get up and preach a message. They don't tolerate them at all. And Jesus says, good job. Okay, so this is what they've done right. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. Wow. You've been persecuted. You know, we even see in Acts 19 riots taking place. People getting dragged out of their house. They kept going. Property seized. They kept going. John was arrested in Ephesus for not bowing or tipping his head to the statue of Domitian. And yet, they kept going. 
They kept going, they kept going, they kept going for His namesake, and He's proud of them and have not grown weary. Wow. That's a big deal to Jesus. Now, but listen, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You see all the things they're doing right? They probably have the best doctrine in, 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 in most of the known world. They probably have some of the best teaching. They are doing all of these things right. They haven't given up. They know how to get rid of the fakes. And yet, they've left their first love. You see, because you can be doing all these things right and still be wrong. Because they've left their first love. They love they had it first. I mean, guys, you read Acts chapter 18 and 19, and you see that they had a fervent passion for Jesus Christ. They didn't have much, but they had a passion for Him. And as they grew to hunger the Word, they would go in the heat of the day when no one else was using the school of Tyrannus, they'd be there hearing the Word. And when the, I mean, even when Paul went to the synagogue, they wouldn't let him leave. They said, please don't leave. We want to hear more. When he came back, he found them hospitable, open to him, open to other believers. When it came time for the pagans to confess Jesus is Lord, they made sure he was Lord and no one else. They took their books of magic. And I mean, come on, guys. Not only did they ostracize themselves by becoming believers, which have already would have made it a big deal. They go in front of their family members, co-workers, and everyone else and burn these books of magic in front of everybody. Just publicly saying, we're turning away from these dead gods, turning to a living God. And losing a lot of money, with those books were valuable too. This is who they were. They had a passion for Jesus Christ. They loved Him dearly. And they loved each other fervently. You see, this first love, I do believe, is speaking about their love for Jesus, but I also believe it's their love for each other. Because the more love you have for Jesus Christ, the more love you will have for those who are also called by His name. Jesus said, you will, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. So, their love for Jesus was growing cold as they began to make this stuff routine. They're doing the right things, but they're lacking love. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. How... The Apostle Paul said the only thing that matters in the end is faith working by love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I did all of these things, I spoke with the tongues of men and angels, if I gave my body to be burned, if I could do all of these things, if I had faith to move mountains, yet had not love, I'm nothing. So all the things they're doing right, Jesus is still proud of them for doing the right things, but they've gone into robot mode. They're just still doing the right things. But they've lost the passion that caused them to do those things to start with. Can't you identify with this on some level? You know the right things to do. You're still doing the right things. We're not finding you on Saturday night out at, at Amigos getting drunk. You're still persevering. You can still preach a message. But are you where you were as far as that passionate love for Jesus and for the brethren? And it's okay to say, I've slipped a little, I'm going to go back. It's okay to say that. You're not unsaved if you say that. This is good. You've got to self-analyze and examine yourself. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, remember, this is what Jesus says, Remember from where you've fallen. 
Remember from where you were. Remember that point in time when you were so passionate that people were going by you and you wouldn't let them go by until they knew what Jesus had done in your life. Remember when you loved Him so dearly that you, you were annoyed that you had to go to work because you wanted to spend more time with Him. Remember when, when, I mean, the things of this world seemed almost disgusting in your mouth compared to the things of heaven. Remember when you used to have people over to your house as often as you could just to be around each other. Remember from where you've fallen and repent. Now repent comes from the word that just means it's two words that are combined together to change and the other word being the way you look at things, the way you think, the way you view the world. Change the way you think. Change, the, change your viewpoint. Change your, your thoughts. And when you change your thoughts, what happens? The rest of yourself goes with it, right? First, change your mind. Change the way you've looked at things. Because you see, he doesn't just say repent. What does he say? And do the deeds. You did it first. Now, you may say, that doesn't seem right. Isn't the whole problem I've been doing the right things, but I haven't been doing it for the right reasons? He says, here's how you fix it. You repent, you change your mind. Then you go back and you do the things you used to do. That doesn't, I mean, a lot of people say, that's absolutely not how you do it. You've got to feel it first. And then as you feel it, you just do it. But this is, this is Jesus. He says, repent, change your mind. Then go back and do what you did. What did you do? You shared Jesus with everyone. You gave liberally. You, had hosp- you were hospitable to brethren. You loved them when you hugged them. When you shook their hand, it wasn't because Pastor Brown, he said, shake somebody's hand. You were genuinely happy to see them. Remember. Here's what he says. Remember, repent, and do. Remember, repent, Remember the way it was. Go back to thinking the way you used to think and do it. That doesn't mean give up what you've gained. I'm sure they've grown in some knowledge. They've probably been taught some new things. They're doing some things they, weren't, they didn't know to do back then. He doesn't say give up all that, go back to being a baby Christian. He says get back that love you had at the first. Get that back. And then he says two words that send chills through our bones or else. Jesus isn't supposed to say or else. He's just supposed to say, I encourage you to do this. It would be a good idea to do this. He's supposed to put it like in fortune cookie form and then we choose to do He says or else. It's still your choice, guys. He's not forcing you to do it. What he says or else. Here's the consequences if you don't do it. I'm coming to you and we'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now let's think about this. Does this mean they're not going to heaven? No. What's being removed? Is it, 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 does he say I'm removing the light? No. What he's removing is the lamp stand. That thing that elevated their light so everyone could see it. That influence they had. The influence they had to their community. The influence they had to other churches. They were the church that people looked to. And he says, if you don't fix this, I've got to come and take the lampstand. Now why would Jesus say that? 
Because the lampstand is there so that the light will shine. And when you stop shining the light, you're shining something else. And Jesus doesn't want that to be shone everywhere. You see what I mean? You see, He wants Himself. And who Jesus was was more than just doing the right things. He was love. And if you are going through the motions and robotically serving the Lord, He may still pat you on the back for doing some of those things, but He's also going to come and say, Listen, you can't keep going like this. You've left your first love. You can still believe the right thing. You can still know the right things. You can still have good preaching in your church. But if you don't have that first love, that passion for Jesus, and that passion for each other, and the passion for souls that comes with it, then you don't have the influence you used to have. You're still a church. People still come. But you won't have the influence that I want you to have. Now, I think this is a message to, the ch- to a church. In other words, a group of people. But a group of people are made up of individuals. You can't just have a group of people simultaneously change their mind all at once. It takes individuals saying, yeah, I'm going back to that first love I had, to the way I felt when I was a new believer. Maybe not when I was a new believer. Maybe there was a moment of revival in my life where the Word of God was like my food. And, and I'd rather skip meals than skip time with Him. Where, where you genuinely were able to look at other believers and go, I love you, and not have to force it out. Where you couldn't wait to come here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night it's not like, oh, tomorrow's Sunday. Oh, I've got to get to bed. Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh, I've got so much to do. You know what? While I applaud you for your commitment, and you know what? Jesus still may pat you on the back for it, as he did to this church. Your perseverance is, is commendable, and I believe that you'll be rewarded for it. But if you lose your first love, you lose a lot. And we got to remember Repent and do what we did before. You know, this is what he says. Or else I come and I remove that lampstand. And and he doesn't want to do that. Let's read the rest and then we'll go back to that thought. He says, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who are the Nicolaitans? Well, early church history tells us that they were most likely followers of one of the original deacons whose name was Nicholas, who was a proselyte, The book of Acts tells us he was a proselyte, in other words, a convert from paganism. And he didn't ever really, I mean, he he converted and he served the Lord, but then he began to think, well, you know what? There's good things from both sides. We can take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and put them together and it's sweet. Why are we saying you have to choose completely? Can't we use some of our pagan ideas with some of these Christian ideas? Can't we all just get along? And he had a group of people that were following him and churches that were changing. Churches that would get up and say, leave your false idols and serve the living God began to say, you know what? Jesus isn't that different. I mean, they, they began to try to mix them in and, and somehow make you not feel so bad about your pagan idolatry and somehow realize that Jesus, yes, He's going to be good for you, but, but, but you know, I mean, you know, He is... 
He's an understanding God. You've got to have an open mind to so many things. And they began to let that in the church. Well, the church in Ephesus said, no, not for a second. And it says, it says they didn't just not allow this kind of teaching. They hated it. They hated it. Like, that's strong emotion, guys. Now, it doesn't say they hated the Nicolaitans, does it? It says they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. That means what they're preaching, what they're doing, what they're teaching other people. I hate, he, they said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And here's, what the, here's the big one. He goes, which I also hate. If you're going to hate anything, make sure. I mean, the only thing you ever have a right to hate in this lifetime are the things that he hates too. Nothing else, okay? I don't care if it's Justin Bieber. I don't care if it's the, the Red Sox. You can't hate what he doesn't hate. Just stay away from it. Hate will destroy you if it's just you hating things. I hate this. I hate that. I hate rap music. You know what? Hate what Jesus hates. Leave the rest of the hate alone, okay? But here's what they did. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He goes, I hate that too. So he goes back and he ends it with a you're just still doing something right, guys. Do you realize this church seems to have some of the best doctrine, the best grasp on the solid word teaching of any of the churches we see addressed in the whole New Testament? And yet, they've lost their first love. Yet they're in danger. This church, the church in Asia, like the big one, the one everybody looks at, the one who's got the best doctrine, the best teachers, the best discernment, he calls them a fallen church. Whoa, that's big. Why were they a fallen church? First love. Don't lose it. The biggest danger in our culture is not that different than the biggest danger in their culture. Being caught up in all these other things. The crowded heart that Jesus spoke about. The thorny heart. We've gone through life before you were born again you had two types of things that you did you had things you had to do and things you got to do you had work you had play you went to work because you had to you went to work so you could do the things you wanted to do later you work but then you play that's what I want to do when we got born again if we didn't obliterate those two concepts then we somehow kept church for the first time when we're born again. It was like the stuff we get to do. Slowly, kind of merges into that work category. Stuff we, we should do and will do because we're good, we're good servants. We've been taught to persevere, so we know to persevere. And we're not going to give up like those backsliders and go and go out into the world. And yet there's still a way to backslide. Letting this become business. Letting this become work. You see, Jesus didn't have a work and a play category. He just had living for the, for the Father, doing what the Father told him to do. And if that means being a plumber for eight hours a day, your work is under the Lord. You don't even call it work. It's for Him. You get to serve the Master just like I serve the Master when I go to Disneyland, just like I serve the Master when I go to the mall. I'm serving Him. I'm living for Him. And that's not work. It's not play. It's just life. Slowly, we can let this life, this Christian walk, this walk with Jesus become routine and scheduled and business to death. Get it back. 
Just bring it back. I want you to do a self-examination for the, for the saving of, of your relationship, for the saving of your church, for the saving of your sanity. Look at your life and say, why do I do it? Am I simply duty bound? Do you realize He still may give you a gold star for keeping your duty? <laughs> for being a good soldier and not giving up. You still may get a pat on the back from Jesus, but you still may have your lampstand removed if you don't get back to that passion. How do you get back? How do we get back? He says, remember. First thing you do is remember. I want you to think about that. I mean, I really, and I mean that in more than one way, think about that. Spend some time, maybe even tonight, remembering. Do you ever notice the times you get more on fire? I, I've noticed this. When I get together with other believers who caught fire around the same time I did, and we begin to swap stories about how crazy we were, it stirs me up. God's not asking you to go backwards. He doesn't want you to move back to the past and go back to being 17 again. But... He does want you to remember. Maybe you go home tonight and write in a journal some of the things that used to make you tick when you were a new believer. Some of the things you used to do that were just absolutely insane. Remember these things. Remember how you used to feel when somebody said, it's Sunday morning. I remember the shift in my life as a teenager from like, ah, oh, it's Sunday morning to I can't wait for Sunday morning. I remember that shift. I would go to bed excited Saturday night as if it were Christmas the next day. And I don't want to lose that. And I admit sometimes I get so busy, even with ministry things, that I don't wake up going, it's Wednesday night. I wake up going, whoa, it's a busy day today, Wednesday. Okay, well, I'll be ready for Wednesday night, but i got to get this. No, no, I want to go back to that. And I still do. I still do get excited like this. But I want it to be always excited like this, where I get up and go, yes. I get to open my Bible this morning. Yes, I get time. And I get to, oh man, I got nothing scheduled. Well, you know what? Instead of just saying I've got nothing scheduled, make that part of your schedule. <laughs> you know? Since when are all these other things more important than Him? Make Him the priority in your schedule. Schedule time for Him. And yet, while you schedule time for Him, don't keep Him in the schedule. That's the trick. You schedule time for Him, and yet you let Him seep into all the other parts of the schedule. You let Him in everywhere else. Don't trap Him. Don't keep Him in a cage in your agenda. No, 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 let Him out. Let Him out. And He'll come out. He'll pop up in a business meeting. And instead of going, get back in there, Jesus, you just let Him out. Because you know what? If you're supposed to be at that job, Jesus is not going to get you fired. And if you're not, if you're, if you're supposed to go somewhere else, well then, it's better that you leave. So, win-win here, right? So you go back. You begin to go tonight. Tonight, just go home and remember. Do some remembering. I want you to remember the most passionate you've ever felt. Then repent. You see, repent is not the same as remorse. Is it? Remorse is mentioned in 2 Corinthians. It's called godly sorrow, and it leads to repentance, but it is not repentance. God does not want you to go home and feel bad for two hours. He wants you to repent. What does repent mean? Change. Go the right way. 
think like you used to think. Repent. Think like you should think. View the world like you should view the world. You see, he br- sometimes there's godly remorse that makes, you, that makes you repent. But that's not repentance. Repentance is not us coming to the altar and crying and crying and crying. If that's part of the process that brought you to repentance, fine. That's great. But that in itself is not the repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad. Repentance is change. So he says, remember, repent, and go back and do the things you did at first. Do the first things. Do the things that you used to do when you were insanely in love with Jesus. Now, some of you in this room may still be insanely in love with Jesus. Don't let it die. Don't get busy. Don't get robotic. Don't just always go through life as a good soldier. Be a good soldier. The scripture tells us you to be a good soldier. But don't just do everything because of duty. Let that love pour through you for Jesus and for his people and for the lost. But this may mean going back and doing some of those insane things you did before, even now that you've grown up. And I always say, I mean, when I, when I talk to the Lord about what He's asked me to do and where I'm asked to go, I say, Lord, and you may not think this is a danger for me, but I do say, don't let me to become too dignified or too cool to do what you told me to do. And you say, don't worry, you're not that cool. You're not that dignified. <laughs> but, you know, I never want to be so dignified that I can't minister the way He wants me to minister. When I go and speak to youth sometimes, I don't want to become so cool that I can't speak as Jesus would speak to them. I just want to go back sometimes. And sometimes, I I mean, I could say, I've gone back and I've done these things. But I always got to remember. You remember your high point and you say, listen, that was more than just a fleeting thing. That That was relationship. And you know what? This is how you restore it. The first, one of the first things he says, remember, repent, and do. I imagine one of the first things that you've got to do is spend some quality time with Jesus. You know what I mean? That's what they did. You look at their first works. The first things they did, they were in there listening to the preaching of the Word. They loved the Word. They loved each other. I mean, go back and spend time with Him because the more time you spend with Him, the more you look at Him the more you become like Him. The more you love Him. And the more you know why you were called, why you were chosen, what your purpose on this life is. This is the good life. But if we want to have influence as a church, if we want to have our light put on a lampstand, or or in, in certain cases, that lampstand not to be removed, He says, repent or else. And then He says at the end, unless you repent apparently needed to be said unless you go back to your first love I can't keep you on the lampstand because I can't have you shining what's not of me I don't want that getting all over the other churches I don't want the world to see what you've turned my gospel into and I don't want the Lord to have to say that to us and if he has I want us to be able to go back and go back to that first love and say, I love you just as much as I've ever loved you. And I love my brothers and sisters. You see, John tells us in his letters, in First John, Second John, Third John, he tells us that we'll know how much we love him by how much we love each other. You'll know. You think you love Jesus? 
take a look how you love everybody else. You love your brothers and sisters? Yeah. And that love, in the same sense, you love them enough. You love them enough to hate the things that hurt them. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They can't tolerate evil men, false apostles. That's the product of, of love. But to them, that started out of love, and it just kept going because they knew to do it. But he goes, go back to your love, which made you do these things to start with. And I won't remove that lampstand because God has put you on a lampstand. He's put you as a city set on a hill. But we've got to remember that the one thing that Jesus showed the world more than anything else was, for God so loved the world. That's what He showed them more than anything else. He showed them love by healing their diseases. He showed them love by taking their sins. He showed them love by teaching, by correcting, by even rebuking at times. He showed them love. And they said, we've come to know and to believe the love of God. So if we can't broadcast that, we don't get to broadcast at all. All right? Let's go back. Let's just get weird and passionate again. Let's get, let's get crazy. Let's just be that church that, you know, I mean, if you're lukewarm Christians and, and you just you, be, you become so dignified and businesslike that, that you got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, but you get a little nervous when somebody gets a little crazy. Let's make them a little nervous because you know what? Maybe it'll remind them how they used to be and they'll go back and they'll join us. I'm not saying they have to come here, but that the, 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 wherever they are, they'll set that place aflame too. Wouldn't you want to be that? I mean, think about what we're doing. When people come in the back door, are they learning to be more dignified or are they learning to be more on fire for Jesus? What are we broadcasting? What are we showing? When he puts us on a stand, what's the world going to see? This is what he wants us to see. Show and see. So you can do all the right things and still be wrong. But let's do all the right things and be right by going back to the first love. Amen? Would you stand? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your light, which has pierced the darkness of our souls, which pierced the darkness of the world we were in. You've rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of your glorious Son. And we are forever grateful. Now, Lord, let us shine. Let us shine before men. Hey, we're tired of sitting on the bleachers saying, let somebody else do it. No, 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 let us shine. Let us be the ones that show the world who you are. Jesus, we want to be on a lampstand. We want to be on a hill so that we can glorify you. That's what we want, you to be glorified. We want the Father to be glorified through our lives, through our church, through our businesses through everything that we do we want you to be glorified so lord right now set us aflame on the inside bring us back to that place of passion to that place of excitement to that place of deep heartfelt love for you and for your people we don't want to go back to duty we don't want to go back to the robotic uh just going through the motions we want to be in love so set us on fire and Lord, we freely repent for the times that we've just done things because they had to be done. You know, I know that it's good to persevere, but Lord, we repent of the attitude that's turned church into work. We want to be on fire, deeply in love, passionately in love. In Jesus' name, make us like you. Remold us in your image. 
so that we can have a place to shine light to our community, to other churches, to other cities, to our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.